Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when The Office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hi everyone. Today we will be discussing Season 5, Episode 19, New Boss. In this episode, Jim has a prank backfire. Michael makes a huge decision, and the office gets a little more handsome. We start this episode off with Michael meeting in the conference room with the new party planning committee, which is, as we have seen before, now Jim, Dwight, and Pam. I can't tell if Pam is there to take notes or if she's, like, part of it. Right. And she would have missed out on Kelly's uh, ill-fated birthday planning because she was on the lecture circuit with Michael. True. And so the party planning committee is planning Michael's 15-year anniversary. And that is a relatively notable milestone. And so it is not a surprise that Michael is kind of eating up the fact that this is going to be a big deal. Yeah, he's really excited. Really big, over-the-top parties. But most specifically, he likes big, over-the-top parties that are for him. Yeah, yeah, he wants the attention. Luckily, the party planning committee, I guess luckily for Michael, the party planning committee is willing to give him this attention. And this is going to be kind of a big soiree. It's difficult to tell if this is going to be similar to like a casino night thing, if it's going to be happening in the warehouse, happening in the parking lot. But Michael wants it to be a big deal. Jim is wearing a tuxedo because the week before, Dwight sent out a memo about professional dress in the workplace that seemingly was targeted at Jim. So Jim's response was to up the ante by wearing this tuxedo and going all out. And the tuxedo is sort of informing the ideas that he's proposing for the party planning committee. And all of his ideas and his thoughts for the party revolve around the idea of classy and classiness. Right. And so Jim is pretty much just shooting down everything that Dwight says as it's not classy enough. And Dwight is getting very frustrated because he points out that Michael is just going along with Jim because Jim is wearing a tux and saying things that need to be classy. And Dwight says that, okay, how's this for classy? We'll get an ice sculpture and we cover it with chocolate-covered strawberries. And Jim Jim says, "Mm, no, sorry, you're just trying too hard here. And Jim says, okay, let me just come up with this idea here on the spot. We get a sculpture. It's made of ice, and maybe we cover it with assorted fruits that are covered with chocolate. And Michael, initially rejecting Dwight's idea because Jim said no, really loves this idea. And that, of course, 
upsets Dwight because he said the exact same thing. Then Dwight storms out of the room and <laughs> Pam has been playing in on Jim's joke the whole time and she shakes her head and says, that's not classy. Then Jim's response to, you know, day class A and Michael's like, oh, French, very classy. So this is actually, I think, a pretty good cold open. The 15th anniversary party plays into the main body of the episode, but the... These are four of the main characters kind of in a room together. And there's not a ton of comedic effect to the body of the episode, but I think this is a pretty good cold open, though I honestly didn't remember it off the top of my head. It wouldn't be one that I'm, you know, ranking as a, a memorable cold open. Yeah. So we kick off the main part of the episode with meeting Charles Minor, played by Idris Elba. And we learn that Charles is the new VP of the Northeast region for Dunder Mifflin. So basically, he is now in the same role that Jan and Ryan held. And it appears that he's an outside hire. New guy, just came on recently. The company is having some financial difficulties, as is the entire world at this point going through the global financial crisis he has a background in accounting and he's he seems pretty professional so i can see david being attracted to that skill set and apparently there was a meet and greet of some sort held in new york uh you know a week or two before this before charles coming to scranton just so michael could get to know Charles. Michael and I assume the other branch managers he yeah. will manage. Yeah. And Michael and so Michael has met Charles and says that they got along great. They had a good vibe going back and forth. And so he was very excited about Charles coming to the office this day. And he says that he has a big surprise for everybody, Charles included. So he has everybody get herded to the break area while Michael sets up this surprise. The surprise is that Michael has cut a bunch of bagels into the shape of a C and has provided seemingly like salmon and it's probably like to make lox bagels. Yeah. And it doesn't even look like Michael's cut the bagels. He just ripped out part of the bagels. It's not even that great of a job. And if he, and it's not a, it's not an impressive spread, especially for, you know, 9 a.m. breakfast, I would say. So sort of a lackluster effort to meet the boss. It's also apparent that Michael has not given the heads up to the staff that the, the new VP is coming in. No one knew that was going to be taking place that day. And Michael says he just didn't want to worry people. And so this kind of keys off to Charles that there's some other things that Michael did not share with the rest of the office. And so Charles says that the people in the office should feel free to ask him about just the goings-on of things. And Stanley asks right away, are there going to be layoffs? 
And Michael jumps in immediately and says, nope, no layoffs. And Charles is like, well, no, we, we can't say that for certain. And Michael's like, yes, yes, we can. And Charles is like, nope, this is my show. No, we can't say that for certain. We are going to be cutting costs across the board 3%. And he specifically points out that there will no longer be any overtime. They're going to try and avoid that. And they're going to cut extra expenditures like petty cash, which will affect things like parties. There will also no longer be 401k matching. And these are this is a pretty big deal. And the fact that Michael did not share this information with the staff because he felt that there was enough worry going on, you know, financially because of the global crisis and the recession. But that's a big deal. Like when you're looking at your retirement accounts and you're accounting for what you'll need to retire and you don't know that your company is no longer doing a match, like that is problematic. It's just typical of Michael to gloss over these things, just like he's glossing over the reality that there could be layoffs, there could be bigger cuts. Charles has come at a good time for both just the Scranton branch, but also just the show as a whole. He's injecting a little bit of reality to the situation. And Michael has, we just got done with like the lecture circuit. We just got done with his Willy Wonka golden ticket thing. We've had some real fantastical moments over season five and Charles is coming in a little bit to remind us like hey remember like this is still a business that sells paper (laughs) this is a business that sells paper at a time when a lot of things are going electronic and digital and there's also a recession happening of course Michael doesn't look at business as business like these are his friends and family So he doesn't want to share that bad news. He doesn't want to think about the possibility of that. And when you take the burying your head in the sand approach, you miss the opportunity to head off those problems or to really go over your budget. It's funny, like how many episodes ago were we having a $3,000 surplus? Yeah. And that's maybe how how quickly things sort of devolved with the stock market in 2008. 2007-2008. So Michael tries to kind of push Charles out the door, thanks him for coming, and tries to get along with business as usual, for lack of a better phrase, of, you know, not doing business. And Charles says that, nope, I'm going to be here for the day. I'll just be in here. If anybody needs me, they can, you know, I'll, I'll be in the conference room. And so Michael immediately goes to call David Wallace and just talks about how he does not like being managed. He thought that things were working out so well without having the Jan slash Ryan figure above him dictating what he needed to be doing day to day. He even goes as far as saying that he thrives in the lack of accountability, which, I mean, 
is not a lie. He, uh, I, I feel like a lot of people would thrive in the during the lack of accountability. And if you think about it, David was probably at a crisis point, perhaps. Like, this job has gone unfilled for a bit, but we know from the meeting he had with Michael in New York and the lecture circuit that Michael went on that Scranton is the only branch turning a profit or seemingly doing well during this time. So the benefit of bringing someone like Charles on at probably a a high salary, you'd have to think, Mm -hmm. with his experience level outweighs the cost there in order to shape up the Northeast region a little bit. We, as viewers, are following the documentary crew at Scranton, so we're not seeing what's happening at, you know, Utica or Stanford or Nashua. Michael, like Curtis said, thought this was just a meet and greet type thing, which is just like the ridiculous turnaround of driving from Scranton to New York that they do on this show sometimes. And he he literally spends the rest of the day challenging Charles, making trouble amongst the staff and Charles, or on the phone trying to get back in touch with David to complain about Charles. And I'm not sure what he thinks is going to come out of the situation, but basically trying to be like, he needs to go. I'm not sure why he couldn't just put up with seemingly one day of Charles being there. It's because Michael's a child. That's why. Right. Like, for him, time and the concept of, hey, the day's going to end at five. But Charles is just really having none of that. He sort of is playing the straight guy to Michael's ridiculousness. Like I said, infusing a little bit of reality to, like, no, you can't just do whatever you want to do in the office. And that, the clash between the two of them seemingly comes to a head at the first time when Kevin just off the cuff requests overtime because he used the wrong tax form for like the first two months of the year and he says he's going to have to come in on the weekend to do to to fix it Michael's like oh I love the initiative come on in not thinking and this is the problem not thinking like okay well we're gonna have to pay Kevin overtime he's probably a salaried employee as an accounting team member and I don't know what else Kevin and accounting are doing that he couldn't just start fixing this immediately. Yeah. Charles overhears this request and was like, uh, no, no, no overtime. You can just do it during office hours. And Kevin was fine with that. Yeah. Charles and Michael clash again when Charles buys the entire office lunch. Somebody showed, like two delivery guys show up. And Charles comes out and is like, all right, I got this. Everybody, lunch is on me. And Michael kind of sees this as a slap in the face. He sees this as almost one-upsmanship that Michael provided what he thought was this wonderful spread of bagels that were cut into the shape of a C. And now all of a sudden Charles is buying the entire office lunch and Charles is like nope 
I do this for every branch I go to. It's not a big deal. It's fine. And Michael challenges Charles saying that we're talking about all these cuts and now you're buying lunch. And that just seems, as Michael says, hypercritical. And Michael just doesn't realize that like this is coming from Charles's pocket. Charles is not charging this to the company. Charles is going out of his way to do this on his own dime. Which could get a little pricey, but he's probably just doing, this is his first meeting with the branch. You know, every time he stops by, he's probably not buying lunch, but it seems like a nice spread. Yeah. So we see Michael and Charles kind of get into it in front of everybody. And Michael starts copying Charles, like literally saying everything that Charles says. And Pam says that when Michael gets upset, his joke routine gets more juvenile. And so he is now at like the worst point he gets to. And Michael just very frustratingly says, PPC in the conference room right now. So he calls a meeting of the party planning committee just to kind of separate himself and get back to talking about the thing that he is most focused on for the day, which is his 15-year anniversary party. This doesn't sit well with Charles. He First of all, he was working in the conference room. Second of all, he's just sort of confused as to just what's happening in there. So he asked Phyllis, you know, what's this meeting about? Phyllis is probably a little salty about being kicked off as head of party planning committee and kicked off as a member. And she tells Charles, yeah, it's the party planning committee. They're in there for hours. Charles comes in, breaks it up, and is like, this is not a good use of office time, which is accurate. Most of what Michael does is not a good use of office time. Jim and Pam are playing into and playing along with Michael's desire to have this over-the-top party because to them it's funny. Dwight's there because he has to be there, and, you know, I don't think, like we said with Kelly's birthday stuff, he's not super into the party planning. But when... It's being scrutinized by Charles. Jim and Pam sort of wither on the vine. They're like, yep, we should get back to our desk. And when Charles asks, like, hey, what's these great ideas? You know, Jim is forced to say, well, a two-way petting zoo. In which you pet the animal and it pets you back, which doesn't really work for, like, a goat. Or any animal at a petting zoo, for that matter. Also... gross (laughs) I hope during the pandemic we realize that like touching things that go all over and just have their own you know sentient being like gross no don't do it wash your hands (laughs) so Charles breaks up the party planning committee meeting and Michael has had it at this point he takes it very personally not just because charles is like dictating what can and cannot happen in his branch but in this specific instance charles breaking up the party planning committee 
meeting is an affront to him personally because it means that Charles is essentially saying that Michael's 15-year anniversary party is meaningless. It doesn't need to doesn't need to be planned. It doesn't need to happen. And so Michael loses it at this point. And as we said, he's been trying to get a hold of David Wallace all day to talk about how Charles is handling things. And Michael just says, I'm going to talk to David myself. And he leaves to go to New York. Because Charles said that the party planning committee is officially dissolved. Now, Charles does not ever specifically state that Michael's 15th anniversary party has to be canceled. True. But that is the outcome, I guess, of not having a party planning committee and the cut to discretionary spending. Michael is not the only person having his fair share of troubles with Charles. Jim gets off on the wrong foot with Charles almost immediately. As we said, in the cold open, Jim is wearing a tuxedo to not just make fun of the memo that Dwight sent out, but also to kind of ramp up the idea of classiness for Michael's party. And so when Charles shows up, Jim pulls Michael aside and is like, hey, why didn't you tell me the new boss was going to be here? I would have brought a change of clothes. I look ridiculous right now. And Michael's like, no, no, you look fine. You look very, very put together. Curtis, can I ask a question at this point? I don't know a ton about men's fashion here. Could Jim not have just taken off the jacket and the tie and maybe like unbuttoned a few buttons? Probably not. A tuxedo shirt is going to have a different cut and is styled differently. So I know that a tuxedo shirt I've had before has not ruffles, but like... Darts? No. I guess they're pleats, maybe. Um, Like vertical pleats. And they'll also... The cuff will be different. Like you'll need a cuff link to attach it. The um, the collar is different because you're generally wearing it with a bow tie. So right. he would have looked, yes, yeah, very odd, especially in like a tuxedo pants. Like just if he had just taken the coat and bow tie off, he still would have looked very stuffy and overdressed. Are we surprised that Jim owns a tuxedo? Very much so, yeah. I thought the same thing. I'm like, where is he wearing a tuxedo to that he actually owns it and doesn't, you know, rent for him? Yeah. And so Jim tries to head this off at the pass and clear the air immediately. He goes to Charles and introduces himself. And Charles immediately brings up the fact that Jim is wearing a tux. And Jim very awkwardly explains the fact that Dwight put this memo out and Jim was just kind of making light of it. Yeah, Charles is very no-nonsense, which Jim doesn't thrive under. (laughs) I mean, somehow he did well at Stanford and he did okay with Jan when she was still sane. But 
he just does not know how to approach Charles. Right. And Jim could have like lightened things up a little bit or at least uh, not made it so awkward with the truth to just been like, oh, I knew you were coming today and just wanted to make a really good impression. You know, something along those yeah. lines. He didn't have to say, oh, yeah, uh, Dwight put this memo out and so I played a prank on him. Yeah, probably not the best foot to lead with with the new VP for your region of like, yeah, I like to just mess with this guy and I didn't like what he had to say in a memo. Yeah, and so this kind of puts Jim on the wrong foot with Charles and we see this continue throughout the rest of this episode. There is a time when Jim is sitting at his desk working and just it looks like he is legitimately working. And he just kind of peers over his shoulder into the through the open windows of the conference room. And Charles is just like standing there looking at Jim. And Jim like cuts back to his desk real quick and continues working. And a couple moments later looks back over his shoulder. And Charles is now at the window like, peering through the blinds, trying to get a closer look at what Jim is doing. And so Jim is on Charles's radar at this point. Later in the episode, Jim makes one last effort to kind of set things straight with Charles and goes into him and says, hey, I think we got off on the wrong foot. Just want to let you know I am serious about this. I work hard and I'm a great number two for this branch. And Charles is very confused by this because... There is no number two for this branch. Which, as we'll talk about in the annex, is not true. Yeah. And Jim goes over the whole history of the assistant regional manager title. Says that it started as a joke to Dwight and wasn't a real position. The assistant to the regional manager, which then got changed to assistant regional manager. He lost it. Jim then took over. And so Charles is like, so you're good at your made-up position. And Jim sees that he has dug the hole even deeper here and just essentially awkwardly walks out of the conference room. Turning back to Michael, as we said, he was just fed up with Charles and the last straw was the cancellation and disbanding of the party planning committee, which prompted Michael to drive to New York City, bypass David's administrative assistant and demand a one-on-one conversation. Michael's being just a little overly ridiculous here and David acquiesces to him and says, you're right, you have been here for 15 years. That is an accomplishment. And and when I say Michael's being ridiculous, he claims that he put off so much of what he wanted to do in his life for the company. And an example he gives is not having a family. And David's response is, we never asked you to do that, which is true from David's point of view. Michael has just not met and married the, the right person. Correct. And he's blaming that on the job and yeah. then he you know another example is hang gliding which David's like okay and and one of the points that Michael makes here is that 
he's been here for 15 years and he has to call and call and call and call David and it ends up with him in New York like that's the only way he can get a hold of David which of course isn't true we saw him talking to David earlier this episode and so Michael is is being is exaggerating here and just being very yeah. over the top in the sense that like I've been here for 15 years you should be at my beck and call all the time and that's just not the case at all David is Michael's superior it's the other way around essentially like Michael should be available for David anytime and that's kind of what this transition is all about David has put Charles in this position to kind of keep Michael on track. Yeah, and the reality of the situation is David's the CFO. He can't be fielding phone calls from Michael and then every other branch manager over minor issues at their branches all day or nothing would get done. And that was the point he was trying to institute when telling Michael and when Charles told Michael, hey, you talk to me and I'll talk to David. And it's not that Michael can't ever talk to David. It's just not the situation where he can just pick up the phone anymore. And Michael doesn't like that. And he's being childish about it, quite frankly. And the thing is, David acquiesced. He says that, they will move some money around. He will get to have his 15th anniversary party. And David will personally be there. Michael's response to that is that he quits. Yeah, this is just a very weird thing. First of all, David enabling Michael just is is the theme of this show. Like, yeah. it's... As I have said before, Michael does so many things throughout this entire show that range from offensive to just plain annoying that people just are kind of like, uh, oh, oh, well, it's just what he does. And they are nice to him for during times when he doesn't deserve people being nice to him. Right. But I think that Michael probably went in there with this in mind, that he was going to quit and just wasn't expecting to hear David be like, okay, fine, let's, fine, we'll, we'll, we'll figure this out. Because his response to David after he says, fine, we'll move some money around, you can still have this party, is very scripted. Like He says, you have no idea how high I can fly. Right. And, and we know Michael's not actually good at improv. Yeah. And so, like, he was expecting David to say something along the lines of, you know, you aren't reaching your potential or we we feel that you need help reaching your potential, something along those lines. And, and so Michael throws this line that he's been rehearsing at David, even though it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah. So that ends the episode. The episode ends with Michael quitting. So let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about this episode. So this new character of Charles Minor is played by Idris Elba in a guest role. And it's his first comedic role that he's ever gotten. 
And it's his first television role since Stringer Bell on The Wire. And the office writer room uh, were big fans of The Wire. And so that's how he got on their radar. And they made the offer to him to play this character. So like I said in the episode, there's a continuity error regarding Jim's title. Jim actually is the assistant regional manager. It is a real position. It came with a pay raise and responsibilities. And it's what was negotiated when the Stanford branch got absorbed into the Scranton branch. And Michael Schur got called out on that by a fan, like during some sort of like conference thing. And it seemed like they just forgot. And we've talked about this before with the writer's room. Like, I don't know why they don't have... Again, I don't know how TV writing rooms work, but some sort of just running list of things to reference back to. And I don't think it's very good that all of them, all of the people in the writer's room, forgot that this is a real title. I think that might just come with the fact that this is a sitcom. I'm sure with dramas, you... I'm sure with all shows... Like every season, everybody comes in, they sit down and is like, all right, we're starting here and we want to end up here. But with dramas, like the minutia of how you get from point A to point B matters. Right. Whereas in a sitcom, eh, it doesn't really matter. And we've seen that with this season specifically where there was a three, four, five episode stretch where they don't really talk about anything big picture. It is just what's going on in that episode. Sure. And the last thing I have, Charles says he came from Satakoy Steel. And the soundstage that the office uh, shot on was on Satakoy Street. So that's where they got that name from. Curtis, who gets fired this episode? Well, we lose Michael... For real, he quits. Sure. He quits Dunder Mifflin. But he also gets fired because as he is doing introductions to people for Charles, he calls over the entire accounting department and basically gives sexual histories for all of their members. So, yeah, that's not something you can do. Yeah, it's a very uncomfortable introduction. It is Michael's... Ninth firing this season. It's his 46th overall. We also lose Dwight in a scene where Michael is trying to get through to David Wallace and is being stymied by David Wallace's assistant. Dwight says, no, you gotta finesse him a little bit better. So Dwight gets on the phone and exchanges some pleasantries with Stephanie, David Wallace's assistant, and tries to flatter her and then immediately changes over to we have David's son in the trunk of a car and so by threatening the life of David Wallace's son essentially he gets fired yeah it was a weird situation of like get him on the phone right now or we're kidnapping this yeah it is Dwight's 10th firing this season it's his 21st overall Antoinette, what is your Dundee for this episode? My Dundee award is Hottest in the Office, which goes to Charles. 
I personally have quite an affinity for Idris Elba. You and many e- other people. Exactly. Everyone else. And I realized why he has the same body type as Curtis. <laughs> like, he... uh, th- thanks. <laughs> uh, I would strongly disagree, but sure. I'll take that. He's he's tall, you know, broad-shouldered. Um, just he has closely cropped hair. Curtis doesn't have any hair, and a lot of times in in a lot of Idris Elba's movies, he's also bald. So, I guess I have a type. <laughs> Kelly and Angela are also quite intrigued with Charles, which will be a continuing uh, storyline as he is a guest star. But to the point of sexual harassment. Now, they've not sexually harassed Charles directly. We didn't have any firings, but both are setting out to seduce or, you know, make it known to Charles that they are interested in him. Kelly is putting on makeup in the break room, and she says that she's going to get him to buy her a prime rib. And Charles has already left at this point. And she goes out to the parking lot, like, running around like he could be, you know, hiding in the bushes instead of, like, he's just left. And Angela's already out there with his scarf and, you know, trying to get it. And it's shocking because Charles does not seem like he'd be Angela's type. But then, in reality, actually, Angela is not Charles's type. Yeah. And if you have not watched The Wire... I saw Idris Elba. This is the very first role that I knew Idris Elba from. So when I when we watched The Wire and I saw him as Stringer Bell, I was like, oh my God, Charles Minor as Stringer Bell. Whereas for most of the world, The Wire had already been out and done with. And they were like, oh wow, Stringer Bell, this corrupt drug dealing, you know, really hard character as kind of playing the straight man on a comedy um, sort of thing. Now... Idris Elba's I I will not see Cats because I I do not want to see that movie but he's in that like he has some interesting movie choices he did like a Fast and the Furious spin-off sort of thing but I think he's a good actor like he's British he seems pretty intelligent he does a calm sleep story that's pretty good Um, so he can't do a lot wrong in my book besides Cats with Taylor Swift (laughs) Okay, so I went on about Idris for long enough. What is your Dundee? My Dundee is the 180 award, and that goes to Dunder Mifflin's corporate. So we went from, we we mentioned this in the main body of the episode, we went from Michael having a $3,000 surplus to Michael going on a lecture circuit tour because he's doing such a great job at managing his branch to now we need to get somebody in there to rein Michael in. Right, and Pam got, think about it, she got time and a half for like three days or whatever, and now there's no overtime. Yeah, and so I, it is a very weird flip that the writers do here, and you mentioned it before, I don't think it's necessary. I don't think that we, this show, I don't think that this show had to take place in the current, at that time, current environment. Like, you can suspend reality 
long enough to think that a paper company is doing well. Yeah, like I know that some shows, for instance, that are shooting currently have like incorporated coronavirus storylines. And for me, we ha- we don't watch those shows. I'm just, the one that comes to mind is like Superstore when I just see the ads for it. But for me, I'm like, no, I'm living that. I don't want to watch a show about coronavirus or that is incorporating that. So, you know, if I lost my job or like my stocks tanked, I may not necessarily like want that storyline. Yeah, and that's, a, to me, it's almost like a uncreative way to show that you were doing this during the pandemic. Like, yeah. lots of shows got put on hold in terms of writing or shooting because people couldn't get together to shoot those shows. And so it's almost kind of like this, uh, see, we're doing things right. You can see it on the screen. You don't have to question that we're being safe with these things. And so I don't, yeah, I agree with you. It, it, I mean, eh. Who is your employee of the month? I chose Charles. He seems like a good fit for this position in a way that Ryan and Jan clearly were not. And that was very well illustrated by Michael's pushback and description of how Jan and Ryan did that job. Who is your employee of the month? My employee of the month is the entire Scranton branch because they no longer have Michael as their boss. <laughs> they, I'm sure there are many people here who have been looking forward to this day for quite some time. And we do see Charles soften up a little bit in the next couple episodes. Not much, but... You know, I think in this episode, you see it's kind of a pick your poison type situation where, all right, do you want the boss that annoys you to no end, but at least stays out of your business and lets you get your work done-ish when he's not keeping you from doing your work because of the stupid things that he plans? Or do you want the no-nonsense boss that is going to be on you about every single thing that you do? Right. And like I said, we do kind of see Charles soften up on that end a little bit. So that does it for this week's episode. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And... Continue listening to us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you can in order to get our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.